Comics Action Show is created by Jupiter Broadcasting. It's sponsored by Ting. Go to last.ting.com to save off your first device or plan. And DigitalOcean. Go to digitalocean.com and use the promo code Here's the Thing, all one word like you're slurring it, and spin up your own Linux rig for free. And Linux Academy. Go to linuxacademy.com slash unplugged and invest in your mind while saving some money. Welcome to Linux Action Show, episode 408. My name is Chris. My name is Noah. Hey, Noah. Good morning to you, or good afternoon to you. Guess what? Big show today. Huge show today. Coming up on the Linux Action Show. They said it couldn't be done. They said creatively, it would destroy you. That's music production under Linux. Actually, nobody ever said that. But it turns out to be a little trickier than you might expect, especially if you want to bring hardware in and control software under Linux using physical hardware. This is a pretty interesting segment, actually, even if you're not into music production. But we're going to go deep diving this week into that particular topic and some of the hardware around that in this week's episode of the show. Plus, Joss from OwnCloud will be joining us to talk about the new features in version 9. And we'll talk about some of the challenges we've faced with OwnCloud in the past and see what he says they've done to improve the those issues. Then in the news segment, did you hear the news? Microsoft is releasing SQL Server for Linux. Well, as a couple of longtime server guys, Noah and I will give you our take on that. Cubes OS has a new fresh release and something pretty fancy in there. Plus, we got feedback. But before all of that, Noah, you know what we got? The picks. How did you know? That's right. We've it's got, almost like we do it every week. It's almost like we always have the picks. And we always start with the runs Linux pick. And uh, this one I thought was pretty awesome because every now and then you just go out in the wild and you you take a quick look and you go, wait a minute, is that? And right. uh, unfortunately, mine this last week wasn't a, a Linux one. I wanted to be able to come on and be like, I found a runs Linux. Uh, but mine was actually a Windows one. The, McDon- or the Jack in the Box had crashed, uh, our local Jack in the Box, and there was like a Windows crash screen up on the, on the, on the order window. The fact that it's crashed tells you something. Yeah, that well, that's true. Time. That's true. So uh, we had somebody ride into the show at their uh, like, local lube shop, and they found Ubuntu running on the oil change computers, right? Like, you have a note there. Yep. Tell me about it. Yeah, and Matt writes in and he says, I just wanted to send in a Linux in the wild where Mr. Lube in Canada, um, and then he attaches this picture. Now, what's interesting about this runs Linux is you pretty much nailed, you know, why I thought this was really cool is that, you know, it's one thing when somebody sets out to do something and, and that industry is primarily based or requires Linux. So, for example, anyone that's doing robotics probably running Linux, right? Mm-hmm. And, and it's becoming Smart less cars. and less surprising and more becoming the de facto standard. Sure. In this case, this is a business shop that is just doing uh, that is just doing you know their, their their oil changes. But what's cool about that is, if you notice, it doesn't look to me like it's a web app. It looks like it's an actual native application. So the the company that makes this this application that's setting Loopsoft it up, Loopsoft G is the application name. I love it, <laughs> Loopsoft. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, it's it, maybe not the best name, but. Uh, <laughs> But it's, it is, it's, it's clearly it's a native Linux app, and yeah. they're you know, it, it's clearly in deployment. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. And they, uh, on their user 2 account. And apparently, uh, <laughs> Matt there has a 2011 Dodge Grand Caravan. So very nice. I like that. And they also recommend that they inspect his automatic transmission uh, and axle every one month for fluid. That's that's a lot. That's that, every month. That, seem, that seems a bit excessive that's, to me. That seems like a money maker. But see, they got it right there in that Don't Linux that, system. Man. I like that. I love these in the wild. If you see one, take a picture of it. You probably there's a good chance have a camera phone. Take a picture of it and send it to Linux Action Show JupiterBroadcasting.com. We'll make it a future runs Linux pick. That's a good one. Have you seen any in the wild recently? 
I, I, I'm, I'm always secretly amused every time I, I go into Lowe's because I, I think it's pretty well known that they run Linux, but I keep waiting for them to update their KDE. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. I know. It's, like, it's been like 10 it's years. Like from like the late 90s. <laughs> I don't understand. I it's like, it's like, it's like KDE's precursor. It's not even like KDE. It's, it's. Oh, really? I think. Well, I don't know. Like, it's super old, whatever it is. <laughs> and it uh, looks like KDE to me, but, it, but so. they, uh, but every time I go in there, like, I wonder if they got an update and I'm just, I'm kind of waiting to see if they, they continue down that gravy train. But it seems to, to me as though it is getting more advanced because I saw uh, the last time I was in there I was looking at some some flooring and now they're they're that system ties into the ability to order from like other places and have put into the store and it, it's all being done through that application. It's not like taking them outside of it to a link or anything. So. Right. Yeah, that is particularly sweet. Well, Noah, uh, it's funny as a big as big events like big travels uh, or you know like a big road trip or a big fest come up. Like uh, pretty much as it gets closer and closer, everything in my world becomes like about that. And so uh, I I was sleeping Saturday night, no Friday night. And Dylan woke up in the middle of the night, and he's sick. You know how that always goes down? Like, when they're really sick, they always wake up in the middle of the night. Mm -hmm. He woke up in the middle of the night, sick as a dog, and I thought, oh, no. Oh, no. I've got to start the regime of self-care now because I am not going to be sick for Linux Fest Northwest. Not gonna, right. I got I got only weeks now, April twenty third and twenty fourth in Bellingham, Washington, Linux Fest Northwest. And now I am, like, I am, like, prepping Noah. And I've got a regime. So when you're in town... I'll introduce you to my uh, don't get sick regime. It's okay. something. It's 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 a special blend for podcasters who need to stay on air and need their voices to work. So I'll pass it along to you. But I am getting super excited about Linux Fest. If you are going to make it out here, we'd love to know about it. So we'll pretty soon we'll have a meetup page going where you can jump in there, and we'll have threads going in the Linux Action Show subreddit as it gets closer to LinuxFestNorthwest.org. If you want more information, you can come out there and say hi to Noah. Come and Chris. Oh, oh, yeah, me too. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh. I, I think I am going to go ahead and come out this year, so. Yeah, probably. Yeah. I have a couple of ideas uh, for a couple of pieces of gear that, there's a piece of gear that I've always wanted, and there's for Linux Fest, and I don't mm -hmm. know. I don't know. We'll see. Maybe. We'll see. Uh, all right, no. Before we go any further, we have some great picks this week. I'm pretty excited about uh, both these because one's got serious attitude, and the other one is taking one of my favorite open source projects on the desktop and making it even cooler. So we'll tell you about both of those from our picks. First, I'll tell you about DigitalOcean. Go over to DigitalOcean.com and use the promo code, here's the thing. All one word, lowercase. No. <laughs> really? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, here's the thing. One word, lowercase, like you're slurring it. And get Are you for real for a $10 yeah. credit. Yeah, that's real. That is so awesome. <laughs> Yeah. That's great. That's terrific. Yeah. I, I sent you the source clips so because there, there's so many people that keep asking me where I got that or where it came from or whatever. So now Chris has the source clip. So maybe you can soundboard that. Dude, it didn't have any sound. It didn't have any sound. You showed me the clip before, oh, no. but the clip you sent me, oh. you didn't have any sound. Well, so, that's no good. Yeah, I know. Are you supposed to, yeah. It's not funny. But you know what? It's a brand new day, a brand new opportunity for people to support the Linux Action Show and go spin themselves up a digital ocean droplet for free. Use the promo code, here's the thing, and get a $10 credit. <laughs> Guess what? They start at $5 a month. In less than 55 seconds, you'll get 512 megabytes of RAM, a 20 gigabyte SSD, one CPU, and a terabyte of transfer. If you've never tried out DigitalOcean, or if you have an account and you haven't applied our promo code, here's the thing. This is an opportunity to go try something new, play with it a little bit, extend it even further, and learn with your systems. DigitalOcean is a great way to deploy applications with a single click, to learn Docker, to spin up a brand new VM like with, of, with CoreOS, with lots of different systems in there, and break it, or put it in production. There's so many different things you can do, and the cost is so low. 
that the field is really yours. One of the things I love about DigitalOcean is their straightforward API, which means in the community section, there's tons of good code already written, already there, and lots of good tutorials as well. Go over there, try them, take a look, see what I'm talking about. We got a couple of things we're working on for the community, and one of the things that's really nice, and uh, Noah, you know uh, Eardrum, or Eardrum as I sometimes mm -hmm. call him. Yeah, uh, it's he just started working with us on a project, and uh -huh. uh, it was just an assumed we would use DigitalOcean. He can create mm -hmm. the droplet, he can get everything set up for us, and when it's all production ready and he feels like it's good to go, he can actually transfer it to me. I can take over that droplet. He can do snapshots mm -hmm. of it at different stages of deployment. So if you deploy it and something goes wrong, it's really easy to roll back. And one of the other mm -hmm. things that's really nice is they're really on top of new project releases. So like when Ubuntu 16.04 comes out, it'll just be a matter of days until it's mm -hmm. available to spin up on a DigitalOcean droplet. So use our brand new promo code. Here's the thing, all one word. There's no apostrophe. You're just putting it all together like a jerk. And go get yourself a $10 credit over at DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean.com. Use the promo code. Here's the thing. And a big thank you to DigitalOcean for sponsoring the Linux Action Show. You like that, Noah? <laughs> I love it. You got to own it, gonna man. It's going to me out, though, because when you're like, and use the promo code. Here's the thing. I'm like, because the, the intonation is exactly the same as if you were stopping that thought <laughs> and starting a new one. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, what's the thing? Tell me the, th what's the, the thing. Here's the thing, Noah. Here's the thing. Here's the thing, Noah. You can get uh -huh. a $10 credit. That's the thing. Oh, that's the that's thing. thing. That's the thing. <laughs> DigitalOcean. Oh, so well. Thank you, DigitalOcean. It was nice of them to play along. I thought that was kind of cool. All right. I'm excited to tell you about Git Kraken uh, because, uh, well, I'm not a huge Git user, but uh, over the course of the internet, uh, it's pretty hard to be involved in this space at all and not end up on GitHub at least mm -hmm. once a week, it feels like. And so I was like, I need myself a tool. And uh, one day, out of nowhere, just sprinkled out of his magical beard came a whole list of fantastic picks from editor Rikai. And one of those picks... One of the best in that beard-powered list was Git Kraken. It is a free Git client for Mac, Linux, and uh, Windows. Win, 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 Windows. Windows. So it is 100% free, 100% standalone. It is not, however, 100% open. It's free as in cost. Uh, but uh, that's okay because they have a great video to make you look away. Look over there. Get your hands on Git Kraken, yeah. the state-of-the-art Git client. You will eliminate third-party dependencies, master the drag-and-drop rebase, and crush the challenge of multiple reboots. If you code with the Git GUI that has the best cross-platform support, then you're coding with total control. The Git Kraken graphical user interface system from Axisoft. Unleash your repo. <laughs> So there you go. Okay, they got, well, the video's a little different, but the, the concept is really they cool. They got one of them. They got one of them, Noah. They got one of them. It's a great-looking app. I installed it, uh, and it is very smooth to use. And here's what my takeaway was. It's really easy if you're not a Git, uh, GitHub expert uh, or a Git expert, and uh, it's really powerful if you are. So uh, I would say check it out. Git Kraken. It could be a really, really great way to interface with Git and GitHub also um, mm -hmm. from your Linux desktop. Okay, no, I'm going to take a stab at pronouncing this next one. Okay. Bomi? Bomi? Bomai? 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 I like Bomai. B-O-M-I. I like Bomai. You like Bomai? Uh, I'll go with Bomai. Yeah, yeah. sure. So Bomi, it is yeah, I'm going to say Bomi. Bomi? Oh, jeez. Yeah. Chat room, what do you say? It is a nice, slick, gooey front end with some nice-to-have features for MPV. 
So MPV is one of my absolute freaking favorite video players for Linux, and especially for anything online, YouTube videos, uh, this here live stream, uh, other live streams on the internet, you could just throw those at MPV. It has the ability to sense like uh, lip sync delay issues and stuff like that and automatically fix them. It has GPU acceleration if it's available. It is such a solid, solid video player. But every now and then when I'm working with a lot of clips and stuff like that, my workflow actually, it's kind of nice to have uh, a GUI, especially if I'm scrubbing a file looking for a particular clip or something like that. Uh, and so BOMI or BOMI, uh, is a graphical multimedia front end. Whole lots of uh, whole lots of uh, flash and functionality here. It's based on some CM player code, uh, which really aimed to be easy, but also provide some powerful features. And so that's essentially where they're starting. It's got a great graphical user interface, unlimited playback history, automatic playlist generation and restoration, enhanced subtitle handling, hardware acceleration for both uh, VA API and VDP AU, and uh, lots of nice convenient features. Like there's a whole list of freaking features and Probably most importantly, a very nice UI that gives you, gives you access to really nice, quick, quick things like audio track, turning subtitles on and off, and chapter, just one click away. Which is sometimes, I know I'm, it's probably because I'm old and dumb uh, and just can't learn any new tricks, but for some reason, Noah, and maybe they, or maybe they move it, like when I have subtitles in a video, I swear it always takes me two or three tries to find out which menu the subtitle track yeah. is to turn it on and off in VLC. One button here. I, and if you need subtitles, it's really nice not to have to dig to turn them on either. So mm -hmm. I really like this, and uh, as you probably guessed, it is free and open source. You ever use MPV? Uh, you know what? Here's the thing. I have <laughs> tried to use MPV numerous times. In fact... I went a whole like week and a half of using MPV simply because everyone kept telling me how much better it was in VLC. And here's what I came away with. Supposedly, when you hover your mouse over the uh, the, the player, yeah. it's supposed to pop up. The on-screen like, controls, like, yes. Backwards and front. Okay, all right. Five different machines. Five. One, two, three, four, five. Granted, they were all the same operating system, Ubuntu 14.04. But none of them did that. Did that. And uh, there was no way for me to... Uh, have any sort huh. of playback controls. And worse yet, I was watching, I was in the middle of a TV show, so I was watching a TV show, and my kids would interrupt me, of course, every 15 minutes, and then I would close the window, and I would just have to re-watch 15 minutes of TV because I was going to force myself to use MPV even though I didn't have playback controls. Eventually, I was smart enough to Google what the, the uh, keyboard shortcuts are, but uh, didn't work, and I was pissed, and so now I'm back on VLC, and life is good, hmm. and so... Hmm. You know, I've yeah. never had that problem, but I do know that there is like a there is like a turn-off-all on-screen stuff mode. Uh, so oh, maybe really? somehow I was in that mode, yeah. But I don't know how it would be like that by default. Uh, yeah, I, found, I, I have found MPV, what I use generally right now is if I'm going to do scrubbing, I use VLC, and if I'm going to do, because it has a persistent play bar, which is what I like about this, and if I'm going to do any on, uh, online live streams, I use MPV, and it's really oh, good yeah. for that. Yeah, that yeah. Would, uh, online would be great, because there's no reason for playback control there. Well, and I think if you probably installed it now on, on a different district, you probably wouldn't have that. But uh, Maybe. Uh, like, if you're going to watch the JB live stream, you go get the RTSP, RTMP link, and pop it in there, and it's real nice. It's real nice. All right, Noah. So you can find out more at jupiterbroadcasting.com slash last picks. We get that updated most of the time. And uh, we have all of our previous picks there. But there's a couple of good ones for you. I'll have links to those in the show notes. But let's do the news. the news and this episode is brought to you by ting.com everybody go to last.ting.com and save yourself some cash and support this show and if you got a device that's compatible you get some money off your first ting month 
I got $25 off my first month, and my first bill was like $23, $24. Because it's only pay for what you use mobile. Minutes, messages, megabytes, boop. That's all you pay. Well, they just add it up. That's it. $6 for the line, flat. And it's just usage on top of that, which means you can add multiple lines down the road. If it's just you, if it's a family or a business, that's nice. Trust me when I say this. It changes the entire value structure when you know that with that phone you're buying will work for years because there's no contract, no early termination fee, and the updates don't get blocked by the carrier. Ting is truly mobile that makes sense. Last.ting.com is where you go. They got CDMA and GSM networks to choose from. They got super passionate customer service that will stick with you till the end. And not only the best devices and some of the best price devices, but a really good freaking control panel. Seriously, I don't know. Uh, Noah, do you know any cellular provider? You've tried them all, and you work with them with clients, too. There's nobody's got a better control I, panel. Yeah, I do. It, actually, so it, it's funny because, like, in the last, like, six months, for whatever reason, I have been put in weird circumstances where I've been forced to have more interaction with cellular other cellular providers than I would like. And the, the, first, of, the first of a series of which was uh, back <laughs> at, uh, at LinuxCon when my phone broke. But, uh, but, uh, but the most recent of which was, was a big box store that, uh, that we went to, and it was, it was with the client. It was working with the client. And my God, like w- they signed in for the, the they, they talked them into signing up for this business premiere thing, which is <laughs> supposed, yep. to be, supposed to be like a better version uh, than, than you get as, as a, as a home user. And like we, they, we signed in for the first time and I, they're, they're fairly technically inept. And so I was walking them through how to put in their credit card number to pay. Jesus, I couldn't find it. Like, I'm like, oh, you click on this, and the then it's like, it's like they're built in the '90s. It's so bad. Well, it's it's uh, there's there's got to be a thousand options. I'm like, and then they ask me, they're like, well, how many how how much data we use this month? I'm like, oh yeah, in here there should be a thing here, or reports yeah. or PRM that's why when Ting says they're making all these acronyms, and I'm like, watch this, Ting.com. I log yeah. in, look, that's how many it's megs. Like, that's it's not data, just it's not just the website that's simple and straightforward. It's not just the pricing structure that's simple and straightforward. It's all aspects mm-hmm. of Ting's business are they're just. Mobile app. Yes, the all emails of it. that you get from yeah. them, mm-hmm. they're simple, they're concise. There's Clear not language. like five lines of, of disclaimer text. Yeah. It's just, yeah. hi, your credit card couldn't be processed. Uh, please update it. Yeah. We're canceling your service in 15 days. <laughs> <laughs> no, you deadbeat. And then also, you know, they're getting into the ISP biz too. And they have an article on their blog about, well, essentially, when's fiber going to come to your neighborhood? Again, with the clear spoken language. Uh, it's pretty cool. They've also got some sales going on right now on some Ting devices, some price reductions, some really nice rigs like the LG Volt 2. Is a ridiculously very, very, you know, middle of the road, very nice Android camera that I wouldn't want to run, but anybody that's not like a phone snob would be very happy with, which is just about the majority of phone users out there. So the LG Volt 2, 66 bucks for a nice, fairly modern Android phone. Or the Moto E, second gen, as Noah will tell you, do not even consider the first gen. No, no. The the G having having owned both, if I had it to do over again, mm-hmm. I would have I I would have I would have just paid the extra money and got the G. Hey, but you know what else they got a sale on? The S six. How you liking your S six? Oh my god, man! Like, and here's the thing: the 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 S six has it is the only phone that I've had on their on their GSM side that I haven't had trouble. Um, hotspotting on GSM, and if, if you go to if you go on their site, their help thing officially says that they only support Ting only officially supports GSM tethering on 3G. But on my on on the S6 on the I GSM never had a problem. Side, no. 
I have, yeah, well, you uh, have the S6, though, right? Yeah, and I use the S6 all on the whole freaking uh, road trip, uh, both of yeah. them. And, uh, and and hotspot on 4G LTE, no problem at all. And so, it, and the other thing too that for whatever reason that the S6 does that no other phone did, and I don't I don't exactly know why. I didn't have to manually configure any of the APN stuff. I just put my SIM card in, and it just the data just worked. I think more and more like, it's getting like that. I think Nexus 6s and stuff. I think more and more that's becoming the norm. Uh, it's been a great experience some, so far. There is some great devices with great, great prices at Ting. It's a great service, CDMA and GSM to choose from, so you can be savvy. And if you use Wi-Fi, like you got Wi-Fi at work or at home, holy smokes, you can save a lot of money. Last.ting.com. And a big thanks to Ting for sponsoring Linux Action Show. Speaking of mobile, Facebook has got something that's pretty cool. They're working, I, yes, I just said those words. Facebook is working on an open source cellular network. Get ready for your face, Noah, because you might very soon be able to deploy your own cellular network using these sh open schematics from mm -hmm. your friends over at Facebook. Here's the deets, Noah. At uh, Mobile World Congress in Barcelona, Facebook announced the launch of a new open source hardware effort to extend cellular wireless service and hopefully accelerate the scaling up of telecommunications infrastructures and development of new wireless broadband tech, including 5G. The program is called Telecom Infra Project, or TIP. So we're talking about just the TIP here, Noah. A pilot 4G network is already underway in the Philippines, and Facebook has a project in planning for Scottish Highlands. Uh, modeled on the Open Compute Project, which you probably are familiar with, we cover mm -hmm. a little bit from scale and whatnot, which tackled data center computing and network hardware, the TIP already has 30 participating members. The TIP will focus on open design for three areas of telecommunication hardware and software, access points, the backhaul network to connect them, and network core infrastructure. The TIP members, such as Facebook, Intel, and Nokia, have pledged to contribute... <laughs> Why am I such a child? I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'll, I'll try, uh, just the TIP members, such as Facebook, Intel, and Nokia, have pledged to contribute an initial suite of reference designs, while other members, such as the operators of Deutsche Telekom and SK Telecom, will help define and deploy technologies as it fits their needs. Now, uh, as you might have guessed, this is the whole. This is probably the only part I probably should even bother to read. It's using some pretty cool software, uh, which runs on top of Linux. Uh, a couple of open source projects up in this biz: uh, OpenBTS, which is an open source cellular infrastructure project. I didn't even know we had an open source cellular infrastructure project. Of course we do. Frick, I love the open source community so much. Uh, OpenBTS sounds like a badass. It's recently a fully open 3G cellular <coughs> network stack released in October of 2014. So catch up, everybody. The OpenBTS software was used by the University of Cali at Berkeley's Technology and Infrastructure in 2013. Uh, well, there you go. It even supports sending SMS text messages to the rest of the world. Uh, the Facebook-led Just the Tip effort... <laughs> Oh man, it's just—it's still good every time. <laughs> oh, okay, sorry. I do apologize. The, you know what? I'm done with this story. I can't. <laughs> what a stupid. <laughs> Why would you call it that? Like, who was sitting there and didn't see that was a bad idea? <laughs> okay. Anyways. Okay. Moving on. No. Moving on. I'm starting to cry now. All right. This next story makes me cry. <laughs> SQL Server coming to Linux. Uh, what? This is really, th I mean, I've covered this everywhere, so yeah. we don't have to spend a lot of time about this. Uh, but mm -hmm. this is truly historic, and every show I talk about this in, people listening uh, are still finding out for the first time, which makes me feel like i got to talk about it just maybe one last time. Yep. 
So Microsoft is bringing SQL Server to Linux. Uh, it'll bring a feature such as mission critical performance, industry leading total cost of ownership. You know how much Microsoft loves that. Security and hybrid cloud innovations, guys, such as Stretch Database, which is kind of like Stretch Armstrong, <laughs> which lets customers access their data on <laughs> You know, I had a I had a uh, a guy that does contract work for me, and he actually uh, he does a lot of development work, and he does a lot of database work, and. <laughs> Um, he was super, super excited about uh, about uh, Microsoft why? SQL. Okay, why does he like, okay, first of all, start because I've actually had, and I'm, I'm not saying this to be a jerk, but people legitimately ask, like, why do I want SQL Server? What's so great about Microsoft SQL Server? Because he has he has used I mean you name it Postgres uh, Mara if it's a database system that exists he's used it and and I, I'm not an authority on it but he tells me that yeah. there are some yeah. features of Microsoft That's SQL Server that far and away blow yeah. away. It's competitors. Um, well, and also and so the fact that that's coming to Linux means that even if even if he's wrong, there's that perception exists, and we have the ability now to gain those clients, those customers. So, by the way, before we go too much further, I do also want to mention like the real deal doesn't ship till mid 2017. Uh, but uh, you know, Noah, why this is sort of a big deal for me is the genesis of this show of the Linux Action Show was was legitimately I was getting into a phase of my career where I was going in and solving clients problems by uh, switching them over to Linux like they were reaching the physical limitations of Windows servers and mm -hmm. I would switch them over to Linux reduce cost uh, give them more flexibility improve security and be able to reinvest in their existing hardware and man that was just clients were loving that and I was like I got I got to talk about this I got to tell people about this uh, mm -hmm. And that's where the action part really comes in from the show is like, this is amazing. That was the genesis of the show uh, is mm -hmm. sort of that I, I have to share this incredible thing that is solving all of these problems for me. Um, mm -hmm. And I remember specifically after I deployed a proxy server uh, and I had gotten, I had saved tons of bandwidth for for, uh, for, for a business I was working at and it prevented them from having to uh, upgrade their internet connection. It was like this huge cost savings for them, like $1,000 a month. I was like, holy smokes, like this is incredible. And one of the things that was always a defeat during this time, and I was riding high on getting people to use Linux, and the, 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 one, of the, one of the things I clearly remember every single time that conversation came up at the table was, if the, if the project required SQL Server, which often also meant uh, ASP and IIS, mm -hmm. and possibly Active Directory, it was a goner. It, I, there was no hope I had on converting them to Linux at all. That was, the, that was just off the table. That was a hard stop. This is non-negotiable. It requires SQL mm -hmm. Server. Um, you have to run Windows. And the thing mm -hmm. about SQL Server was, and this is why I think it's also a really big deal, is not only now will that conversation not have to take place necessarily. Requiring SQL Server is no longer meaning you have to use Windows. That's huge, right? But mm -hmm. what also is big about it, in my estimation, is you often don't just have one Windows box running one Microsoft product that integrates in with uh, your, your, your Microsoft infrastructure standalone. Mm -hmm. You generally are not running Active Directory, Microsoft SQL, and IIS with likely some sort of SMTP service on there as well. Maybe IIS is built in one for notifications, all mm -hmm. on a single box when you deploy a SQL Server in production. You mm -hmm. often have to have a separate directory server, a separate IIS box, and a separate SQL Server all broken out. So one Microsoft SQL box is really three or four Windows boxes for every deployment. And so mm -hmm. now being able to run these on droplets and VPSs and your own Linux rigs means that rash of Windows boxes that come dragging along with SQL Server are mm -hmm. no longer actually going to be well, happening, which is going to directly translate to fewer Windows sales. 
I mean, I, I'll, I'll split just a, I mean, it is really splitting hairs, but, but just a, a slightly different take is, I mean, we have Windows VPSs, right? But I think what you get is you're, you're more efficiently utilizing resources. I am not aware of any Windows VPSs that work that are $5 a month. Actually, there, and there are, you can, if you look hard enough, you can even find, uh, you can even find cheaper servers. I don't know that you'd you know, it's not use even, them, but I don't could. even know if it's really about that because if you just need SQL in the cloud, mm-hmm. I would imagine Azure would probably provide that and yeah but at what cost well this isn't just microsoft being good guy microsoft here they're releasing sql server for linux because they want you to start building applications that way and then when you get all big and you want to scale Mm -hmm. you go uh hi there uh, mr microsoft Uh, we'd like to set up an agreement on azure to host our database on your cloud because we've written our entire application using all of your tool set and written for sql microsoft sql so it's just a real quick migration and then they're ready to go and so this is selling more azure licenses long term Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. That's I, what I it's completely, about, Noah. I completely agree, but it, whether it was their intended consequence, whether it was their intended consequence or not, Microsoft has opened the door to allow people to start tinkering with it, and it just became a viable option. And like I said, I know some people that are very hardcore, dedicated Linux users, but because of the confines of their job, they are stuck in a, in a Windows world. And I can I can oh, guarantee yeah. you, the first chance they get, they will they will jump over to Linux because they want it to be there. Kind of like you wanted to be there from the get go, yeah. and we're just kind of being held back. Now, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, legitimately, uh, you can now use Microsoft's Visual Studio, Visual Studio Code editor that they've created for Linux to create your application, and you can now run it on SQL services running on Linux. I mean, the stack is, and, and they've open source.net. We're not going to just, <clears throat> we're not going to talk about Microsoft this whole time, and we're going to put a little, uh, we're going to put the brakes on this conversation here for a second. But first, before we do that, I think it's also pretty telling this week that they joined the Eclipse Foundation. So now. They are a funding member of the Clips Foundation, which is really more about making some of this stuff plug in a little bit better with Visual Studio. So what they say is, to, this is from an Ars Technica article uh, written by Survey Says Peter Bright. Uh, to further streamline integration with Microsoft services for Eclipse users, there is new support for co- uh, Code Envy in Visual Studio Team Services. With Code Envy extension, VSTS can generate an Eclipse workspace on demand. So. They're doing this to make the Eclipse workflows tie in closer with their tool set. However, okay, <clears throat> I, 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 while I do acknowledge, so Microsoft is open sourcing.net. They're working uh, much more friendly with the open source community. They've been going to fest. Noah and I have been talking and stopping by their booths now for years, and they've been getting bigger and larger presences at these fests for years. Mm-hmm. You agree, Noah, with that statement? I agree that everything you said is factual and correct, yes. Yes. None of this means that Microsoft is doing any of this because they are good Samaritans. That's Microsoft, right. This or is any semblance of a care to the open source community or Linux. What Save these, that it will make them money. Right. And you could, of course, there's lots of things, lots of examples like chat room citing Skype right now and all that. But you could cite to say how Microsoft doesn't care about Linux. All you have to really, that's not, that's not what matters in this conversation. What matters in this conversation is this is an admission, a full frontal in front of the entire industry and world admission that Windows is not as relevant as it once was and that Linux mm-hmm. is more relevant. The crown mm-hmm. jewels, one of the crown jewels, Microsoft SQL, has just been announced for Linux, not because they like Linux and they like Linux users, right. but because the market demands it. And they even said in their quote, that's where the users are at. 
Mm-hmm. That is the huge statement here being made by Microsoft, and I think that's the thing to take away. And what's what's interesting is that we as a community are so ready and eager for blood. I've seen this story now crop up <clears throat> three times, I think, over the weekend on Reddit. Uh, so let's just go over to r slash uh, Linux, the bastion of absolute brilliant Linux analysis by a community. No one surpasses r Linux in their analysis, and yet somehow, like three times this weekend, the brilliant minds over there have voted up this great piece by techrights.org. Now, I don't like calling out an individual website, but this kind of crap makes Linux users look like a bunch of freaking monkeys that just jump around and sling poo. With 1,982 upvotes in the, in the R Linux subreddit, which has got to make it the top story of the week. Let me go see. This has got to make it the top story. Yeah. <clears throat> by a pretty big margin, actually. Microsoft has just blackmailed Linux twice in one single week, and the media didn't notice or just ignored it because of Microsoft's charm offensives. <sighs> and you read the article, and it's like, okay, so they're continuing to go after some Android manufacturers for their fat patent, and they're trying to copy or trying to patent something called Continuum, or con- you know, which is a lot like continuity. Those things suck, but those are all, like, it's... What we get carried away and lost with now is mm-hmm. those are normal things of a business the size of Microsoft, and yeah, they frickin' suck. That's the system in the United States of America, everybody. It's, if you think it sucks, that's one thing, but they are perfectly within their right to go try to patent something, and they right. are perfectly within their right to go after patents if we're using their shitty file system. If, if mm-hmm. you're deploying software out there, like an Android camera or an Android smartphone, and you're supporting Microsoft's shitty fat file system... Well, then maybe you should pay a licensing fee for that. Or, Absolutely. here's an idea, stop including it. And yeah, it's going to be harder for end users, but... For, you know what? You know what? For a sh- short for amount of time. For 10 months. For yeah. 10 months, yeah. if, if even that. For 10 months, and then everyone will move on, because nobody actually cares what the file system is. They just want to be able to put their SD card in the phone and have it work. And since the SD card comes formatted with FAT, because that's what the file system on the phone is, because that's what the file system... And my, 10 months. 10 months, and the mess will sort itself out. And, and you know what? To be fine. honest with you, know what? This hand-holding uh, that we do by including things like FAT and all that kind of stuff... Uh, it's sort of the overall problem with the industry that leads to things yes, like is. having vulnerabilities and fall. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, it does perpetuate a problem. All right, let's talk about something that's trying to solve a problem. Let's stop talking about Microsoft and start tar- start talking about this damn cool distro that we just might have to review here soon on the show. Cubes OS 3.1 has been released. Uh, Cubes OS is that super <coughs> slick distro that tries to isolate stuff uh, into, into uh, different VMs. And the major new architectural feature of this new release is the introduction of the Cubes management infrastructure, which is based on the popular salt management software. In Cubes 3.1, this management stack makes it possible to conveniently control system-wide Cubes configurations using centralized declarative statements. Declarative is the key word here. It makes creating advanced configurations significantly simpler. This has already allowed us to improve the installation wizard, they say, so that it now offers the ability for users to easily select from various options to pre-create useful configurations during the first boot of like nicely protected, isolated VMs. Currently, the management stack is limited to DOM0 and system-wide cubes configurations, though. Either way, though, Cubes OS, <clears throat> really neat. And I don't know, have we reviewed this distro since uh, you've been co-host on this show? No. No. Mm-mm. Yeah. Interesting, interesting. This, Noah, here's where, I th- here's where I'd like your head on this distro. Just think of it like okay. this. You have a demo laptop, and it's like uh-huh. you have, like, the, this, is like your, this is your example of, 
like how Linux can be extremely flexible, yet extremely, extremely secure. So the idea here really is applications have their own on-demand VMs, not even containers, Noah. VMs mm-hmm. using you know okay. the virtualizer in the Linux kernel, and you mm-hmm. launch Firefox, and it's a, it's in its own protected VM. Nothing can ever happen to Firefox; it'll affect any of the other applications. But the idea is to the end user, you barely even know anything's happening, mm-hmm. <clears throat> and it's a great example of uh, some really, 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 really awesome Linux technologies underneath it that provide you with a really super secure, isolated OS. Great for like a client demo or something like that. Maybe down the road, we do a Cube's OS three distro review. Yeah, I'd like to get sure. your take on it. Hey. Just maybe this might be something I might need to look into before the big competition. Oh, yes. I wonder if that could be uh, useful to me, hmm. but it could. Hmm. You never know, Noah. You never know. Speaking of things that could be useful and something else we should be taking a look at, guess what? Our friends over at OwnCloud have a brand new version, OwnCloud 9. And joining us via the magic of the internet right now is Joss from the OwnCloud project. Joss, welcome to the Linux Action Show, and congratulations on OwnCloud 9. We have, Thank you. Really glad to be here. We have uh, Noah up on your face right now, but that's because Noah's also there. Noah, say something. You're still there. Say hi, Noah. Hey there. How's right. it going? Yeah. So just ignore the lower third, like it's not actually that. Anyways, it's so a Joss, different Noah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll just call him Joss Noah. So Joss, you're the community manager for OwnCloud, and oh. uh, so you were the first guy that came to mind when I saw that OwnCloud Nine came out. And what are the big takeaway features you're excited with OwnCloud Nine? Uh, for me, I mean, I use it at home myself. So for me, the uh, collaboration stuff is the coolest. Like we've added the ability to comment on files. So if you share pictures with family, they can actually comment on it. You can oh. comment back and have the conversations. That is uh, pretty cool. Yeah, it is. Uh, also tags. So you can tag your files. So find them easier. On the left, you get like a tag filter. So you have these filters where you can see like external files and all this other stuff. And now there's tags there as well. So you can search uh, for the tags. So those two are really big. And then the activities and notifications kind of reinforces that. So we used to have activities, um, but they were also used for things like, you know, there's a new share. And Mm. while you can ignore somebody commenting on a picture, I mean, it's not a big deal. If you get a new file shared with you, you should not, you know, miss that. So we separated that out. And now you separately, you get like this little you know, bell on the top right that says, hey, there are new notifications, and you get a notification where they can accept the share, while stuff like comments and, you know, you know, files being downloaded or hmm. uploaded or modified. I can see that being particularly handy in, like, production work, actually, like some of our workflow there. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, um, I talked, actually, I met in, uh, in the flight back from uh, Scale. I uh, sat next in the airplane to um, a guy who composes music uh, for movies, um, he actually told me he had some of his music in the um, uh, upcoming, um, I think it was the, the movie with Batman and Superman. Anyway, he told me uh, that in their workflow, they have to work a lot with big files, uh, obviously the music that they need to share back and forth. Um, and he was actually, well, he asked me what I did and, you know, I couldn't help talking about OwnCloud, obviously. Of course, yes, of course. <laughs> so he was extremely excited about the whole thing. I was like, oh, my God, we're using Dropbox, and it's a pain, and I don't want to put my <laughs> files there, you know, and it doesn't deal well with so many big files, blah, blah, blah. And, and how's OwnCloud? I said, well, you know, the guys at CERN use it. You know, they have this big physics thing on the ground, and they're smashing stuff against each other, creates a lot of data, and according to them, it works with a lot of data. So, you know, he thought those credentials were cool, and, yeah. He wanted to try it out. 
Quick question for you. You know, I have used OwnCloud with uh, with uh, large files for for my data in the past, and I've run into some syncing issues. And I know I'm not the the only one that's had that issue. I'm wondering, is OwnCloud nine? Have you guys looked in or, or addressed that at all? Um, so, so what exactly what issues? Because there's one thing uh, with big files that would be nice to have, and we don't have yet. Although we're currently looking into that is to do incremental sync. So like if you have a big file, you make a small change, so that mm. only syncs change. Like block level. Right now we don't have that. Well, it's I guess the problem that I was having was if if I had if if I just have a you know 20 gigabytes worth of files and some of them I'd say the largest file was maybe 4 or 5 gigs and probably a couple of them DVD ISOs uh, and and so you know some video files that that split it about 5 gigs. And what I noticed was it was having a, a, an issue where if after a couple months of use, certain files would be on certain computers and certain files, if they, C-Sync would say everything was up to date, but I, there'd be some files that were missing or some files that were corrupted. Uh, and and, I, and I've, I've lost some data. I've, I had that problem on, on a couple different versions. And so I've been kind of hesitant to jump back into OwnCloud, but I assume that at some point that that issue will surface and will come to light and, and get resolved. And when it does, I'd be the first person to, to put all my data back on cloud again. Um, I had a question I, actually I, kind of along those regards, Joss, uh, does, uh, do you hear about many installations maybe using sync thing on the back end of the file system and then pointing own cloud at that? Because one new feature in own cloud nine that kind of got my attention and maybe you could elaborate on this more is I, I guess there's some there's some flexibility now for different types of backend storage. I guess that's one of the things that CERN is particularly excited, excited about. And I wonder yeah. if it, with this new system, it would it be possible to point it at like a huge NAS that maybe SyncThing is pointing at and and take advantage of SyncThing for some file syncing and take advantage of OwnCloud for obviously all the other things like contacts and uh, document management and collaboration and calendar that OwnCloud does? Yeah, so, so people have been uh, doing that a lot. Um, Although lately, like the synchronization of OwnCloud has been getting, you know, a lot better, uh, yeah, a lot more okay. reliable. So yeah, we should give it. A, we should give it a try. I think. But yeah, so OwnCloud has it had its own storage, uh, which you shouldn't, you know, sync uh, externally because then, well, it'll lose track of it and you might lose data. But the external storage, you can certainly do that, and it doesn't even have to be another device. So I have, okay. as external storage, mounted on, on my one computer that I run as a, my server. I have several big folders there with movies, music, uh, my photographs, pictures. And I have mounted those directly to my computers at home via NFS. So I manipulate the pictures there directly. But at the same time, I have them mounted as external storage in OwnCloud. Yeah. To make them available you know, via OwnCloud to share them with my family and have the comments and all the other stuff there. So you can have that huh. both. And indeed, okay. if you have a nest, that works really well uh, with Uncle's external stores. And this is indeed one of those things that uh, CERN was interested in. So we worked with them for the 9.0 release. Um, so they have massive amounts of data, right? I mean, not just one petabyte, but I think dozens of petabytes, which is a lot of data. Um, and it used to be with OwnCloud. Uh, OwnCloud would store everything, um, all the knowledge about these files, it will put it in its database. So for example, if you have Dropbox mounted in OwnCloud and you have your files on, on the Dropbox and on a Google Drive and then a couple of other places. Sure, yeah, it sounds about right. Dropbox, you can mount it into OwnCloud and then OwnCloud would scan that drive and would put that data in its database so that it can put the comments there, it can put in there that uh, you have files shared with someone. Now, of course, Dropbox, can share too, 
right? But Uncle I wouldn't know that. I wouldn't be able to deal with that. So um, the file system that CERN uses also has a lot of these advanced capabilities. It can it can do all kinds of caching. It can do all kinds of mm. uh, other capabilities. But OwnCloud didn't know that. It was using it as dumb storage. Sure, yeah. If it has to do that with petabytes of data. That's a huge overhead. So we've made changes in OwnCloud to make it possible to essentially integrate much closer with such a backend. Ah. So in the future, uh, it will be possible to modify, for example, the Dropbox backend to actually make OwnCloud aware of some of these shares having been done through Dropbox. Wow, that's that's going to be powerful. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, so again, this is the framework, that, the technology. So it, that's right? that's particularly that's unique for OwnCloud. And then also, could you could you quickly touch on federation? If I'm understanding this correctly, uh, it's gotten some improvements with Nine and such that uh, it's much easier to add OwnCloud servers. So Noah and I could maybe have like a shared. I could have my own OwnCloud server here at the studio. He could have one at his studio, and then we could have them federate. Yeah, yeah, collaborate. Yeah, that sounds yeah. pretty. That sounds pretty interesting. What's changed in version nine about that? Yeah, so it used to be that you could share with Noah, and you would have to do that by basically asking him for his federated cloud share uh, federated cloud ID, which is like an email address, and then you had to type that in on the share, and in the normal share dialog like you would use to share anything else. Um, and once you would have shared with him, um, it would be added to your address book, mm. so you wouldn't need to always finish his name. However, he might have other people on his server. And those names you would also first have to get from the federated cloud ID and add all individually. So in OwnCloud 9, what will happen is that once you share with him once, OwnCloud will make a connection with the other OwnCloud server. They will talk to each other. They will exchange their users on each other. And from then on, your OwnCloud will autocomplete all the names of users on the other OwnCloud. Wow. So it basically has become even more seamless to share files with people on other OwnCloud. Huh. Pretty that, cool, huh? That is really cool. Uh, yeah, I also I saw I that uh, on the back end, you guys are working on improvements on getting like OwnCloud apps in the, into the OwnCloud app store, so there's probably going to be more stuff coming there. I'm, I'm thinking it's definitely yeah. time to give OwnCloud 9 a spin. So, Josh, is there anything else you want to touch on before we run? Well, if you want to give it a spin, uh, so I, I always write a blog the day after the release about how to upgrade to the new release. Sure. A lot of people who are still on 8.2 and 8.1, um, nice. yeah. they should check out on cloud.org slash news. Um, and I can also link directly to the right blog. I will post it in the chat. Okay, yeah. Um, so you can grab it immediately. And by the way, because a lot of people uh, always ask us about the upgrade procedure, um, we're working on on improving that, making it more smooth. I was so wondering OnCloud about that. Nine yeah. introduces a completely new standalone upgrade uh, tool. Basically, it's no longer part of OnCloud itself, um, which makes it a lot more reliable. So in the future, because this won't handle the upgrade from eight point two to nine, but it will start to handle the upgrade from nine zero to nine zero one and nine zero two and nine one and nine and in the future. So that's really um, a big deal, I think, because it makes it more reliable. And we can also start to do stuff again, like automatically upgrading the apps um, uh, and running automatically. Yeah, I was, on, you know, I was thinking about just, you know, it's tax season and just getting a ton of files and collecting a bunch of stuff. And one of my first thoughts about storing it on an own cloud server was, uh, of course, I want it super locked down. But my other thought was, yeah, I could see how essential it is that people are comfortable with upgrading the the process there because that's my data. And I put something like that in there, that critical. I want to make sure that when I go to 8 to 9 or 9 to 10, it's not going to blow up. So I'm really glad you guys are focused on that. 
That seems like a exactly, and this is really important for us to make this uh, process as reliable as possible. And we've basically done everything we can in the current architecture, which is why we now introduce a new way of upgrading in the future, which makes it, you know, even more reliable. I mean, the thing is, there are so many installations that people run OwnCloud on, so many different devices. They run it on NASUS and they run it on supercomputers like CERN does, right? And it needs to work and scale all the way up and down with every piece of possible infrastructure. And it's very hard to get perfectly right in every situation. Yeah. So this will help us do that and make yeah. it even more reliable. Well, Joss, uh, thank you for coming on the show and perpetrating to be Noah and stealing his identity with his lower third. I appreciate that as well. Uh, I, I don't suppose there's any chance you're going to be at Linux Fest Northwest this year. Um, no, I don't no. think I will make it. But it's too I'm far see away. If it's fine. Frank to fly in and uh, come say hi. It's always nice to see Frank. It is always well. We'll bear on the Linux Action Show if Frank makes it out. Well, Josh, thanks for coming right. on the show. I'll have links to uh, everything you mentioned, including your Twitter profile and that own cloud blog post, in the show notes. So thank you very much, sir. And that's all the news for this week. You might not have known it, but our very own Noah here has a bit of a musical talent up his sleeve, and we're going to talk about how that intersects with Linux and controlling software using physical hardware under Linux in just a moment. First, although, i got to tell you about our segment sponsor who's making this very possible. That is... Linux Academy. Go to linuxacademy.com slash unplugged. linuxacademy.com slash unplugged is our crazy great unplugged discount that we got to bring over to Linux Action Show. You go there, you support the show, and you get a discount on your education. 2,327 videos, self-paced courses. You can go out there and obtain experience on the subjects you need around Linux itself or the technologies built on top of Linux. Scenario-based labs, instructor mentoring is available, and graded server exercises help those of us who have a little exam anxiety. PHP, Python, Android, Ruby, OpenStack, Amazon Web Services, pretty much anything in the whole DevOps sphere, they got that. You're in the sphere of DevOps, they got that. You're doing the Red Hat stuff, they've also got that. That's why Noah and I are customers, and that's why we're able to talk about them right here on the show. And we've heard from a lot of folks who've gone there and had a lot of success with Linux Academy. I love their practice exams. They help, they're like quizzes to help you ensure you're getting the core concepts, not just able to take the test, but are you actually understanding the core concepts? Those are, those are available. Detailed study guides and notes throughout all of the courses. You could also use their note-taking system and to create and download your own custom notes on content. Your own Linux server comes with it, which is pretty sweet. And it'll match the distribution you chose for the courseware, and they'll adjust the server. And they have enhanced learning plans. They create a detailed learning plan with reminders and daily assignments, with labs and quizzes that are due. They have an availability planner. You tell it how much time you have, and they'll build courseware for you. This is a great way to learn more about Linux. If you have a career that involves Linux or you want to get into one, this is a great tool. If you just want to take it to the next level. And also, shout out to Linux Academy for doing these weekly roundups. I love it. They now have server labs in Asia and Sydney as well for people working out of there. I've been hearing from a few uh, folks down under that are trying out Linux Academy. They've also posted some recent student successes. I've noticed a couple names from the Jupiter Broadcasting community. They've got a community stacked full of Jupiter Broadcasting members. This is a great tool to learn more about Linux and the technology around it. You go to linuxacademy.com unplugged. Go check out their features. Try out their nuggets. And use the availability planner if you're busy. Lots of good stuff. linuxacademy.com unplugged. And a big thanks to Linux Academy for sponsoring the Linux Action Show. Okay, Noah, I'm fired up. Tell me about this. Uh, you have a passion 
I didn't even know. It. You're like the next Ronald Jenkins in the making, sir. I'm pretty yeah, excited about I, this segment. I don't know about that, but I, I like playing with toys, and I like playing with toys on Linux. And so recently, I've been playing with with MIDI more and more. And the, 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 my dad has been a MIDI guy for years. And what's failed to get me on board is the ginormous pain it is to get things working correctly. I thought so, MIDI was like as, dead, man. I thought MIDI went away oh, with no, USB. No, no, no. No, man. No. Well, I, <laughs> I'm just MIDI teasing. Is, MIDI does go over USB. Yes. And in fact, that's actually what kind of started this gravy train rolling was uh, my wife got me a very nice gift of, of a different um, a, a different synthesizer uh, yeah, MIDI controller. And what it had was a built in MIDI controller that, yes, it goes over USB. So you're not using an external inter- interface, but it's the same protocol. It's doing the same thing. It's just you don't have a little box in the middle. But the thing that was nice about this particular one, and believe me, it took a while to find it, is this one is natively compatible right out of the box with... Bingo! Linux. Linux, yeah. So uh, so I, I was able to install a, a sequencer called Rose Garden, and, uh, and I, was, I was screwing around with it. And the nice thing is, let's say you go and, and, and you play a composition. Now, if you watch Ronald Jenkins, and here's why I and many other people will never be Ronald Jenkins. <laughs> you watch that video of him doing the song, he does speed, it like, man. in one take, right? Yes. And yes. he knows he's going to get it in one take because he even in the intro of the video, unless he recorded the intro like 15 times, he's like, all right, so I'm about to lay this down. Then, then he does it and, and perfectly, right? I can't do that. And I, I think most other people can't do that. And so the nice thing about MIDI is you play it into your computer and then those couple little scripts, those notes, you can crawl back in there and fix it. Now you could compose the entire thing in MIDI inside of like a sequencer. But the problem with doing that is it becomes robotic. It loses that uh-huh. musical feel to it. Touch. And so when you have an actual controller, you you want some of that, uh, some of that variety. You want some imperfections because it, it has a feel to it and that's a good thing um but it allows you to edit and the other thing is and this is why my dad's been big on it for years is once he has a composition done if he wants to give it to a friend and then he does a lot of singing and his friends do a lot of singing they can on the fly change the key they can they can Ah, they can change things or they can say and the other thing is that he really likes is that as he buys newer and newer synthesizers his that with the same MIDI file, his performances get or his music gets better and better and better because it right. the, the data is the same. It just they have better yeah. sampled sounds. So and, what you're saying, Noah, is today's MIDI is not like yesterday's MIDI, essentially. No, it's actually it's actually I'm saying the well, exact opposite. I'm actually saying that today's <laughs> MIDI is 100 percent identical no, to yesterday's oh, really? MIDI. It just sounds better. The sounds, as the sounds get yes, better yes, and as the exactly. equipment gets more robust, what, yes. we can use yesterday's MIDI to do cooler things today. That's Are we ready to roll? Because I'm excited. You yeah. got me fired up, yeah. Noah. I'm ready to go. Okay, let's take a look. Let's go into Noah's musical dungeon. Hmm. Okay. Are you ready, Noah? You ready? Here we go. All right, we're here in my personal music studio. This is where I kind of, uh, it's kind of a hobby. And full disclaimer, I am a Linux guy. We're doing a Linux podcast. I'm not a music guy. I, I just, it's just a hobby. So if any of you are good at music, just you've been warned. I'm not good at music. I do Linux. I just do Linux with music. I do music with Linux or one or the other. Anyway, the first thing you're going to need is a device to capture all the pretty sounds you make. And so that is an analog to digital interface. And I have one of my favorites here. This is the M Audio M Track. It's a cheap sub $100 interface, but it sounds really good. And I have interfaces that range from 100 bucks to over 1000 and I can tell you that this is top notch. Um, and so basically what you get is two XLRs, two quarter inch ins, headphone out, so it's real-time monitoring. And if you've ever done a podcast, you've ever done any sort of, of, uh, of you know, even live music, 
you need to be able to hear yourself. It's critical. And if you don't think you need to hear yourself, it's because you've never tried. If you have tried, you'll know why I say that. On the back, we have uh, analog quarter inch out, and we also have a MIDI interface, both in and out. And we're going to get to exactly what MIDI is in just a little bit. First thing you're going to need. Now, the second thing is a microphone, and the kind of, there are, there's a microphone for every different thing out there, and so what kind of microphone you want is going to depend largely on what you're doing. If you're going to be singing, I really like the Perception 420 by AKG. This is just a couple hundred bucks, and it sounds phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal. And I've compared this um, with with uh, with thousand dollar microphones, and I think that in some respects this actually even sounds better. So if you're looking for a really good, uh, if you're looking for a really good vocal microphone for singing. Uh, the Perception 420. Now, why is this different for singing from speaking? Well, you want a little bit of a sweeter tone, and uh, you want it to. You, if you're if you're singing, you're going to be in in a slightly different um, noise environment. Um, you're probably going to be a lot more isolated, and also the range is going to be greater. And so. Uh, you want to be able to pick up all those beautiful notes. And so the 420 is a great singing mic. I would probably not use it for podcasting. For podcasting or any sort of speech, I really like the RE320. Now, this is the one that Chris uses all the time. I have uh, some uh, that I use most of the time. Uh, I swap between the 320 and the RE20, which is the bigger brother of the 320. This is a great mic. Get, get a couple hundred dollars, really hefty feel to it. Um, and this is going to be specifically designed um, for the human voice speaking. And it also has a, a roll-off. So I'll switch down here and you can flip and it'll cut out that, that, that bassy bass that you get when people talk too close to their microphones and this kind of thing. So probably one of the best uh, broadcasting slash podcasting mics money can buy. Now, if we're going to record instruments, uh, we're going to be looking at something a little different. And so the Shure SM57, this is probably, if I could only have one microphone, this would be the microphone because it is truly a jack of all trades. It is like it's an $80 microphone and it sounds amazing. And not only does it sound amazing for doing instruments and I use one on my snare as well as um these have a similar capsule, but they're specifically designed for toms on a drum set. And so basically it has this little clip that goes on the on the rim of the tom and then this mounts onto here and it allows you to it allows you to capture the, the drum. So it's specifically designed for a drum hit, but very similar sound to the 57. And the, uh, and the only reason I don't use um, the 57 is because they're too big and my sticks end up hitting the, the microphone and I don't like that. But sound-wise, you can't beat the 57. And I'll give you a little secret. To those of you who say that you can't use this for serious production, uh, for voice production, uh, podcasting or broadcasting, I invite you to watch a presidential address because you will see that the uh, State of the Union address is almost always broadcasted and recorded with two SM57s. Best microphone out there. If I could only have one, this would be it. Now for the king of microphones. This is the DPA 4011, and this is an exceptionally expensive microphone, insanely expensive. And what makes it so expensive and what makes it so unique and so valuable is that it is specifically designed to mimic exactly and capture exactly 
what it's hearing. And so it's very good for reference material. If you need to, if you need to record and 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 look at what frequencies, you know, a given instrument is giving out or a given uh, person is giving out, um, this is probably going to be the most accurate representation uh, of what of what what of what you're actually hearing. Now, some of you are thinking, well, that would be the best microphone for everything, right? Wrong. When you're recording like a bass drum, for example, you only want the low frequencies. You want to cut everything else out in, in with the human voice depending on what kind of voice you have. For example, God bless me with the vocal cords of a female. And so, uh, I have a very high voice. And so I try to use a microphone um that caters to uh, to my voice and makes it sound better. And so, uh, again, uh, Perception 420, great microphone for doing that. Now, I mentioned MIDI a little bit earlier, and that's going to be a large part of what we're going to be talking about today. And essentially what MIDI is, is a digital protocol for instruments to talk to computers and to other instruments. And so what we have here is a very basic MIDI controller. Now, some people are going to look at this and say, oh, it's a keyboard. It's not, I assure you. This makes no sound in and of itself. All this can do when I push this key is send the key, uh, you know, the, 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 the data number one and how long I held it and how hard I pushed it and when I let go. And it sends that out this little port at the back or this USB port to uh, my laptop and some software that I'm going to show you. But this makes no sound in and of itself. It is totally useless uh, without a synthesizer. And a synthesizer is something that makes sound. Um, it's an outboard module, and I'm going to... I'm, I, I don't have an actual outboard one to show you uh, right now, but I will show you a synthesizer that's built in to a MIDI controller, uh, which is what most people are commonly familiar with as a keyboard. And we're going to connect that to the computer and do some fun things. To connect a MIDI device to a computer, you're going to need a MIDI interface. Now, this is my favorite one. It's the Yamaha UX96, and it's unfortunately no longer in production. Um, so you'd have to find, you'd have to scour eBay, but it is natively compatible with Linux. You just plug it in and it works. Um, the thing that I like over the UX96 over the M Audio, which, mind you, has MIDI, is this has a MIDI through. And so basically, I can tie it directly into um, uh, certain devices and let MIDI pass back and forth, uh, whereas the M-Audio just has in and out. Um, so UBEX 96, I really like this device. It's, I'm really sad that they stopped making them. I'm in the process of looking for another device that is natively compatible with Linux, and when I find such a device, I'll definitely let you guys know. So now that we got the hardware covered, let's take a look at the software and what we use to make music. Okay, so this is my uh, music production machine. This is where I do a lot of recording. Um, the most basic program that you can use to record is Audacity. And basically, Audacity, uh, I'm sure many of you have used it, is basically you open it up, you press play or record, and you start recording. And then you hit stop and you stop recording. Um, now, I don't have my mixer, my interface hooked up right now because I have it over connected to um, the drum set and the keyboard. And I'm going to show you that a little bit later. But um, if I did, I would uh, it would essentially populate tracks, and we'll make sure to get some camera footage of, of that actually uh, recording. Now, Audacity can just basically do audio. It's it you can imp you can you can import MIDI, but it has it's not really a sequencer, so it has no real way to record MIDI. Um, and so we'll get to that in a little bit. But the second program I use a lot is Hydrogen. We've talked about Hydrogen on the air before, and basically you set your resolution, you set how many uh, 
what the size of your of your loop is, and then I can essentially click in here and make uh, drum loops, and then I can play it. And I don't know if you can hear that or not. It's probably, you know, very soft. But um, And then basically once I've actually created that, I can, and I'm going to go through and we'll make a better one, but I can export it as a MIDI. And um, that's interesting because then we can bring it into another program called Rose Garden. And Rose Garden, which I don't think I actually have a shortcut for, but Rose Garden is a full-on uh, MIDI sequencer that, Basically, what you can do is you can connect it to MIDI devices, and so I'm going to show you. We're going to connect it to a keyboard here in a little bit, and I will, um, I will have a a, a single MIDI track uh, with a with a drum track, and then another MIDI track that will record from um, the keyboard, and uh, will actually lay down uh, some music. And that that's essentially what a MIDI sequencer does: is it takes the output from a MIDI device and 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 essentially records that as data. That's not music, it's just data. And so how so for example, I could key it in on that MIDI controller that I showed you guys earlier and then I could play it back on a synthesizer that emulates a guitar or a synthesizer that emulates a bass or a synthesizer that emulates you know an actual piano. Um but it's it, it they're just numbers. Um and I'll show you how to use Rose Garden uh or at least I'll show you a demonstration of, of Rose Garden in a little bit. Um, and lastly, the uh, well, there's two other programs I use. The LMMS, which is, and I apparently haven't used it on this computer before, but LMMS is, if you want to make electronica or dubstep, uh, LMMS is a program to use. Now, I have not become terribly proficient with the LMMS. I've wanted to. I've wanted to play with it. I played with it on my laptop a couple of times when I'm traveling, um, but I've never actually gotten any serious work done in it. It's a very powerful program. I'd love to learn more about it. And finally is kind of the king of software, and that is Ardour. And Ardour is a full-on digital audio workstation. It's not just um, a recorder. It's not just a MIDI sequencer. It can do everything. The problem is because it can do everything, it's exceptionally difficult to learn. Um, and we can make an entire episode on how to use Ardour um, because it is honestly that complicated. I mean, even getting the audio interfaces set up... Uh, Took me about a half an hour the first time, so it it you know, hello there, um, so it it is pretty crazy. But eventually, if you get into recording a lot of audio and MIDI, eventually you will wind up with Ardour. But if you're just doing MIDI, you can get away with um, Rose Garden. If you're just doing audio, you can get away with Audacity as long as you don't want to use um, you know VSTs and such. Um, so let's go over to the actual instruments, and I'll give you a demonstration of how some of this stuff works. All right, so what we've got here is um, this is Audacity running. This is a very basic. Um, analog audio recording program. And so basically what we're doing here is we're bringing audio in from the drum set on this digital uh, uh, to analog mixer. And so basically it takes in analog inputs and then spits it out digitally through a USB cable that comes in through Audacity. Now ordinarily, if we're recording a drum set, what I'd probably do is actually have separate channels for each of the toms and each of the cymbals, the whole nine yards, and then I would uh, have those connected to an audio interface. But for the purposes of the demonstration, we're, this is a much easier solution. So basically, we're just going to use the four channels that are come out, out of here. It's going to it's going to mix them down into a stereo two channel and then spit it out into Audacity. And I will record a sample for you and show you how we would do that on like a drum set. Of course, you could use you know a keyboard or a guitar or any other uh, analog instrument. Mm -hmm. 
All right, we've gone ahead and exported our MIDI sequence out of Hydrogen. Now we're going to combine it with some music. So I'm going to cheat and use my Yamaha synthesizer because this combines both a MIDI controller and a host of sampled sound synthesizer. And so I have the synthesizer sounds coming out of the analog. And of course, it's talking um, to uh, Ubuntu through this MIDI cable. So let's see who recognizes the song. brings us to the end of this week's show. Before we get out of here, we're going to say thank you to System76, sponsors here of this segment, and creators of machines born to run Linux. Really nice rigs, well-built, that have been meticulously thought after. I think one thing that stood out to us when we were there, and I don't think they intended to stand out too, Noah and I, is they're very... Um, anal, you might say, about some of the details. You remember them talking about the uh, fingerprint reader, Noah? On the yes, <laughs> yes. And you know what's great? I'm glad that, that we had that conversation because one of my employees bought an Oryx and he uh, and he he was talking about the fingerprint reader. I'm like, listen, nowhere on any of their marketing material, nowhere on anywhere on their website will you find any mention yeah. whatsoever yeah. of a fingerprint reader. In fact, in some places they've gone, you know, so far as to pull the, the, the out of the image just to not, uh, you know, advertise because they know that it doesn't it doesn't it's work. Not, it's not up to snuff. So you can be mad. It's not only it's not up to snuff, but what I loved about it is the the way they the way they talked about uh, their philosophy philosophy behind why they don't include it on the website and why right. they don't think it's up to snuff, and mm -hmm. it, it revealed a thought process behind these computers that was obviously. Something that you only get after a decade of doing this and get generally to a position where you know like what you're good at, what works well for users, and what makes a great product. And that's System 76's across uh, all their machines across the board. From the desktops to the laptops, they have some really nice desktops, like this little Meerkat here. I love that guy. I think the Rattel Pro is the sleeper of the bunch. It's crazy smaller than it looks in the picture, and it, you can put a full uh, GPU in there. So you can start with an integrated GPU, which is going to work great with Linux. And then when you're actually ready to play video games like Noah does now, you just put a dedicated GPU in there. And then, of course, they got the Silverback. So uh, System76.com. Go check them out. There's great machines designed and built to run Linux with a great company behind them. Also hiring now a kernel developer. So you never know. Maybe you could go get a job at System76 and be submitting code upstream. System76.com. Tell them the Linux Action Show. Sentia. All right, hold the phone, Noah. Haha, <laughs> get it, Noah? Hold the phone. Kalux just called in. He's been watching the show today, and he's been messing around with music production under Linux. Kalux, welcome to Linux Action Show. What are you up to? Not so much, man. So tell me about your music production under Linux. Rumor has it you've been playing some guitar, you have it plugged into a Linux rig. Can you give me kind of an overview of your setup? Yeah, what I'm doing actually is I'm kind of transitioning from the you know the Windows world into into Linux. So I'm trying to check out all the the new stuff, the Adore, you know, all the you know virtual. How has that been going that, for you? Well, like I said, I just started. It was actually really funny you guys were bringing this up. I, I was love it when this happens. Working on it this weekend. That is I, so yeah, cool. Yeah, 
Yeah, with me having uh you know, I have my whole whole computer rig set up just for, you know, mostly pre-Sona stuff and, you know, the pre-Sona software and stuff like that. It doesn't run on Linux, but I want to try and move and transition that stuff over just to see, you know, what I can do with it. So, uh, Kalex, you have a, you have a guitar. It's hooked up to your Linux box. And have you found any particular software yet that's working for you? Um, well, again, like I said, just started this weekend. Um, I haven't hooked up my PreSonus gear to it. Oh, okay. So, yeah, unfortunately, I don't have a whole lot of stuff to so, really So, do you, you know, have any questions up. for Noah? Do you have any follow-up questions to his segment? Uh, he won't, he, well, I'll have to, I'll hang up on you after you ask it so you can hear his answer on air. But if you have any questions you want to ask him. Yeah, that'd be cool. I actually just wondered about some of the, you know, interfaces that he uses, what he's found that's worked. You know, he was asking about the Actium, you know, MIDI controller that I use. And yeah. You know, whether it works or not, I, you know, again, I'm just starting to get into it, you know, trying to see what I can do under Linux, you know, as opposed to, you know, using the proprietary stuff. So Sure. Sure. Okay. All right. Well, uh, I'll have you uh, get off air so you can hear his question uh, on the stream. But, uh, Calix, thanks for calling in and keep it up. And uh, check the show notes, too, after the show. He's got some extra stuff in there. Have a great rest of your Sunday, too, man. All right, Noah, so you heard the question about interfaces. Do you have any thoughts to come to mind? Yeah, I use I use almost exclusively PreSonus gear. I have a couple of the Amadios because they're inexpensive, but every PreSonus gear piece of equipment I ever bought has worked out of the box with Linux, and it's worked well. There have been a couple of times where I have suspected there's something wrong with those M Audio interfaces, but I've never been able to actually pin it to the interface. So I'll give you an example. You have that that one of those M tracks in the yeah. studio, right? Yep, yep. And you have like chipmunk sounds but then when you do use it with a different operating system you don't have that problem so it's probably not the interface but then i've had weird problems where they're, they're just like there's fluky things that happen it seems to be had... different versions of pulse audio and the linux kernel make the difference uh and i haven't honestly had that on any of the more recent kernels oh, okay. but yeah uh, so that's been, that's been lots of problem. Anyway, but i also I've reduced my usage of Skype, and I want to just underscore something here is depending on what you're using these interfaces for, you sometimes have different interactions with different applications, and that's a different yeah, a layer of complexity to consider. So, but as far as as far as the actual interface, I've never had any issues whatsoever, not even the, the hint of an issue with PreSonus stuff. And in addition to that, it, as far as what software is, it once the, your system recognizes it as a audio device, Every piece of software in Linux is going to work right away with with that audio interface. So once it shows up in the sound menu, and you can choose it as an input device, like let's say you have the 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 um, the, the PreSon is the eight input rack unit, right? That I've got in the studio. When you open up Audacity, you will be able to record eight tracks off of the PreSonus. Um, and 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 the same is true of Ardour, and the same is true of, of any recording application inside of Linux, as long as, you know, as long as the feature set exists. But, um, so if you're just doing recording, like you, you just want to be a, a GarageBand rock star, then, then, you know, something like Audacity is more than enough. If you want to start getting into VSTs, and you want to start, uh, you know, tweaking everything and having, you know, cutting out, as they say, cutting out an EQ space for each instrument and doing all that, then you probably want to go with something like Ardour. But both will work just fine with your PreSonus on stuff almost guaranteed very nice very nice all right well hopefully that'll help mr k lux and uh, you can always join us live to call in and uh, share your thoughts okay so before we wrap up we should probably cover at least one email and we asked our live audience uh, what they thought about us reading emails if it was just maybe getting a little too boring so before we jump into the emails no let's see what the live results are it looks like it's a resounding yes well, there's only been 35 votes because there's like only 35 people voting right now. Uh, so uh, I guess we continue, Noah. So go away and take it, Noah. What is our email this week? 
So Alex writes in and he has a question about window shortcuts on Linux. And he says, hi, last team, long time listener and big fan of the show. Last in TechSnap since 2012. My household is Windows free. Nice. Nice. Since almost three years ago, and I'm happy so far. The only thing I really miss about Windows are the keyboard shortcuts. They are hardwired deep down in my brain, and admittedly, Microsoft did a good job there. This leads to my question. Is it somehow possible to get the Windows shortcuts for Linux? I'm well aware that I can custom my shortcuts manually on almost every desktop, but I was wondering if someone else has already taken care of this. In my opinion, there's a variety of compelling reasons to switch over to switch users away from Windows and give them an already familiar experience. For clarification, I mean things like super arrow key to snap a window to a corner, uh, super E to open a new Explorer window, super D to minimize all windows or show the desktop. I'm currently KDE5, Mate, Cinnamon, and i3. Any help is much appreciated. Thanks for the great content. Greetings from Austria, Alex. Um, so my, my I'm, I'm hoping that the community has a better answer for him because my answer is going to be <laughs> learn the shortcuts in Linux. I mean, we can do all the same things, right? Like instead of, uh, what is it to, to, is it control alt, uh, how do you minimize the, I don't even know. I don't use them, but <laughs> it, there's, there are ways, there is a way to, to minimize the desktop inside of, you know, to show the desktop inside of, of Linux. We have a lot of that stuff. And yes, if they're not there, you can manually create them. I'm not aware. And I don't know if you are Chris of any package that you can install that binds all of those shortcuts that would be in windows inside of Linux. Hmm, I'm feeling like I, I should, uh, and I know there are some desktop environments that you can like go into modes that are like emulate the Windows mode, emulate the Mac mm -hmm. mode, and sometimes that'll mm -hmm. do it. So I feel like I do have an answer, but it's just not coming to surface. You know, honestly, Noah, I can't really think of an environment that I use on a regular basis where I can't go reassign some of my core favorite shortcuts. So what my approach yeah. would be would try to adopt as many of the native shortcuts as I can right. retrain my uh, muscle memory. And then mm -hmm. the ones that I just, I can't shake or, or you know what, maybe as a reward to myself, say these couple I'm going to keep and the rest I'm willing to retrain. It's sort of like a stick right. and carrot approach. Go yep. into the system settings, learn them. That's your reference right there. And change a couple of the core ones if you have to, to, to accommodate your workflow. And then learn the rest. Like, you know, find that balance point for you. Because honestly... What you are, what you don't really want to do when you're adopting a new platform, if possible, is accumulate a whole bunch of things that have to be changed after a fresh install, or things yeah. that only work on your setup, you know, and so you can't yeah. really use somebody else's setup, and that makes it hard to help people troubleshoot, and when you become an advocate because you love it so much, it's going to make it harder to show other people how to use it. So it's worth learning, even though it seems like a pain in the butt. And what I did back when I was switching to GNOME 3 is I said, all right, once a day for 30 days, right. I will just learn an, a GNOME 3 workflow, and mm -hmm. I will use it that whole day. And I, so I only had to do one thing at a time. And I'll tell you what, by the end of that 30 days, it, it actually worked. I found myself to be extremely productive under GNOME 3, starting that 30 days as, as finding GNOME 3's, like, not having to minimize button. This is ridiculous. Like, I just thought that was the craziest thing ever. By the end of the 30 days, uh, well, I have minimized buttons. But I, because I compromised never used them anymore. Yeah. Uh, but I, I found the GNOME 3 workflow to be very productive after dedicating time like that. Uh, taking yeah. one in a day. And you could try that. It's kind of like a 30-day you know, diet, like a, like a and challenge. And this isn't necessarily true for keyboard shortcuts. This might be a bit of an extreme example there, but certainly in a lot of other aspects, if you go in to use Linux and expect it and set your expectations 
of that of another operating system and say, well, this is how things work. Not necessarily, you know, what can I get done, but but this is how I get things done in this operating system. So I expect Linux to do the same thing. If you if you go into it with that mindset, I'm not saying it won't work, but you're you're in for a bumpy ride. And so if you can approach it with these are the things I need to be able to get done, these are the things I need to do. How do I do those in Linux? Then I think you're setting yourself up for smooth sailing. Um, not just, you know, the immediate transition, but then down the road is going to carry you. Cause like yeah. Chris said, yeah. if you have all these things that you have to do to tweak, to make it so it's usable for you, it's going to be really, really painful. If at some point in time, the operating system takes a, a slightly, uh, you know, takes a turn of directions and they, they, they aren't aware of your, uh, you know, gross customizations and you kind of yeah. get derailed. I guess to, to directly address this question, because there's one thing like, so I'll give you an example when I never compromise on is to me, uh, I love having uh, the super key activate my launcher in either a super key right, or a combination yes. of another key, something like that. So yep. I do want to point you to K super key, uh, which allows you to open the applications launcher on the Plasma desktop using the super key. So you could hit that and start typing. It also actually lets you do a bunch of other stuff too. So K super key uh, and uh, that's one I've installed in the past to sort of accommodate that particular habit that is hard. Now, are you getting psyched up for the uh, Noah versus Emma switch contest at Linux Fest Northwest? Are you psyched? Yeah, I, I, am a, I tell you what, I am excited to switch a bunch of people to Linux because I know there's going to be a ton of people that are going to be there. And if I could just have a couple of minutes with them, it doesn't matter if they're a Windows user or a Mac user or a BSD user. We're going to switch them to Linux. That's right. That's right. Uh, also, if you emailed us last week, there's some follow-up emails that came into the show that are super helpful for additional information. Check the show notes for those. You can read through them, and uh, I think that'd be good. Also, uh, I, I'd love to have your background submissions. There is a link to a thread about getting new backgrounds into the Linux Action Show video version. And don't forget, you can watch the show live on Sundays. Go to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar. And there's this crazy time zone math happening right now all around the world. So if you go there, the robots which are paid via Bitcoin. So might as well take advantage of them. I'm paying them with Bitcoins, people, to convert time for you automatically. Each page load is done by a robot. An artisan hand loads that calendar for you to convert it to your local time zone. You can also go to linuxactionshow.reddit.com to submit news stories, projects we should spotlight, desktop app picks, and feedback for this here show. There'll be a dedicated thread at linuxactionshow.reddit.com, one of the best Linux resources on the net. And Mr. Kernel Linux, I bet you're online somewhere, aren't you? I am at Kernel Linux. I had a, uh, not uh, not this past week, but the week before, I was uh, I was on site to a location and the ha like a whole half of the, the building went out uh, network wise. And so as we're going around, we're finding like switches in the weirdest places. And some genius decided to put a switch, not like in a cabinet at the bar or around the bar. No, like on the bar like where they mix drinks on the bar and the little you know the little coke sprayer thing somebody had squirted on the switch no and and, and got coke and no stuff in no thing. no Dying. did you tweet a picture of this yes i did where do i find I this i said something to the effect of the switch got thirsty and she and i'm on your twitter oh, feed where do i, I gotta i gotta see this photos i'm gonna go i'm going straight to your photos and videos is this it right here no no that's a laptop chris oh i know but then here's this one no yeah, there you go. Oh that my right gosh, there. no way. Right there. Look at where they put that. Look at where the Coke sprayer is. And then look where the, the, the switch. I was like, really, guys? Really? This it's is actually not, a, not a cheapo switch either. No, no. It's, <laughs> it's not cheap. Well, and the other thing is, too, is and this is payback. I ended, this is karma coming back to get me. When I went to replace the switch, guess what I couldn't do? Do you notice how those cables are pulling really tight? Yeah. Do you know why that is? 
because somebody zip tied them as they're going down <laughs> down the desk. So I couldn't I couldn't quite get them unplugged because there's too much tension on the cable. <laughs> Good. That's what yeah. I say to that. Good. Yeah. As somebody who can't move his laptop any closer to him right now because somebody zip tied it down, I say good. That's what I say. All right. At Colonel Linux to follow his shenanigans. At Chris Las to follow my shenanigans. And uh, I tweet not nearly as much as he. Although I did tweet. Uh, I tried to tweet a video the other day. I was just going to send a video out to my Twitter followers. Totally failed to upload. It was awesome. I took the time though, so it's on my phone. So that's good. So I can I can watch it anytime I want. It's great. But normally I would get that out on Twitter at Chris Las, and you can follow the network at Jupiter Signal. Okay, everybody, thanks so much for tuning this week's episode of the Linux Action Show, and we'll see you right back here next week. I think I might have found your uh, Western Digital. Well, I know you love your Western Digital Live, so I'm not trying to get Jesus, you to switch. Dude. Yeah, you, good luck with that. No, I'm not, but I, I might have found your replacement. Oh, okay. What would that be? I had a, uh, so on uh, Unplugged, I talked about, uh, I wanted to pick up an NVIDIA Shield TV. Have you seen these things? Yeah. They run Android, though, don't they? Yeah, yeah. But I had a I had an audience member sell me his uh, for super cheap, so, uh, well, not super cheap, but like 150 bucks. Uh, but it has a 500 okay. gigabyte hard drive in it. Yeah. And uh, runs Marshmallow, and it runs Plex, and it runs Kodi. And it runs uh, Sling TV, which is how I kind of watch some of my news on uh, in the rover. Mm-hmm. Have you ever seen Sling TV? No, yeah, I have. I had one until they stopped. Uh, no, I'm not talking stopped... Sling Box. Oh, talking no. Sling TV. Yeah. Sling no, TV okay. is like Sling Box, but they stream it directly from their servers, so it's like a streaming TV service. Oh, that's cool. They've only got like 30 channels, but you know. <laughs> Let me tell you how departed from your boat that I am. Like, this is how, like, we're basically on opposite contents. Continents. So, the Western Digital hat, they have different revisions. And I had not bought the newest revision of the Western Digital, so I bought it. And I plugged it in, turned it on. And after, like, two months, because I got it actually when we moved into the new house. So, really, back in November, I bought it. And, like, yesterday, the day before, I went to turn on Netflix because I was just going to turn something on in the background because I didn't actually want to watch, you know, real carrying TV I do that, stuff. too. I, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I was going to turn something on just so it listens. And I noticed I can't find the Netflix app. And so I do some Googling and find out on that particular revision of the firmware, they don't have Netflix support. And I went, this, this, is, my, this is my response. I went, well, that's really dumb. Why would... Yeah, I don't care. And then I went back to watching local TV or my local content, and then that was the end of it. Like, I, I couldn't care less. Like, it's it's literally, it, it's about the same as if like my car didn't have an FM radio in it. It would be like, huh? Uh, that's here's what I yeah, no, Netflix radio. is pretty nice to have. Here's what I here's why I think the Nvidia Shield TV is actually kind of nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is it is legitimately and ridiculously uh, overpowered for the job. It's got a crazy good uh, system uh, chip in there and stuff. So I'm thinking, I, that's always been my problem with all these, all of these, is uh-huh. that they don't have, they're not fast enough, and they don't have enough RAM. The thing has like three gigs of RAM, so it's got a uh-huh. 500 gig hard drive and three gigs of RAM, and like uh, yeah, the, the rover that is, or Lady Jupiter that is freaking yeah awesome. Yeah, exactly. And here's why I think that matters is in my experience, these more powerful boxes deal with uh, lower bandwidth situations better. Like, I don't know, maybe because their CPUs are faster, they can decode and re-encode. Uh, because they're, they have more RAM, they can buffer more. And so, uh, to me, that's what I'm going to be. So it should arrive uh, early, I think probably Monday or Tuesday. 
And I'm really looking forward to Cody because uh, the other yeah, th- yeah. When I'm driving down the road, so you mm-hmm. know, I I learned this one the hard way. We on our last on our recent road trip with the kids, mm-hmm. we, we luckily took a route that had connectivity the entire way. Uh-huh. But guess what? They when we're driving down the road for like a couple of hours, you know what they want to do mm-hmm. is they want to play on their tablets, and right. everything on their tablets requires internet. And yep. so I just had the MiFi on while we were driving down the road, and it worked. But right. you know, I uh, I just assume. That if something was a reasonable expectation when I was a kid, it should be a reasonable expectation when he's a kid. So, for instance, when I was in the car, which didn't have freaking internet. Oh, I and know. So I tell my, my son, I'm like, well, we don't have internet. We're in the car. He's so freaking smart. He figured out that when I like because, you know, it happens you know, quite frequently, actually, if we're if we're you know, together for any period of time. At some point, dad has to pull over to the side of the road, open his laptop and has to help somebody on the road. And so <laughs> we're driving down the road a couple weeks ago and he's like. How do you help people with computers if you don't have internet in the car? And I'm like, well, I have a hotspot. I, I turn it on. And 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 ever since that, actually, I guess it was a couple months ago. We're yeah. back in Arizona. But yeah. ever since that, yeah. we get in the car. Can I play Counter Strike? I'm like, yeah. no, we don't have internet. Well, yeah. you could hotspot. We yeah. could turn on the hotspot. Yeah. yeah, I had that. I was driving driving down the road, and we get to a place we're going to park, and. D and Dylan are going to stay in the car for a couple of minutes, and I'm running into the store, and Dylan's like, Dad, can I play while you go in? And I'm like, no, no, we don't have, and it's just this game, it's this Angry Birds game that has, like, videos that play in it constantly, and oh, I'm yeah. like, and you can't continue unless you can watch the video, and he's like, and I'm like, no, you can't play that, I gotta go, we have no internet in the truck, I'll be right back, though, it's not a big deal. Well, uh, can't you just turn on Tatherine on your phone? Can't you just turn your phone on to, what? Yeah. I'm like, Dad, it's stupid not to have internet, just turn Tatherine on and leave your phone here. I'm like, what do I say? I'm like, I just, okay, well, I, I'm just running for like three minutes. It's, my, it, it's here's, fine. Here's my, here's my new answer. I've just, I have embraced it as an opportunity to teach my son about money management. And so now when he says you want to tether, I'm like, yeah, sure. Let's go ahead and turn on the hotspot. It's 25 cents to turn on dad's hotspot. Clever. Which gets paid quarter for different things, so then he can pay for it. That's Doesn't a good idea. My kids are huge. This is in a five minute period, but. All three of them from, from Dylan down to belly are all huge into money. For different reasons. Like, Dylan oh, really? actually wants to save money to buy things, and the girls love coins. They just love they're shiny and they're cool, and Abby's starting to understand that's there's that's differences that's between them. Uh, Bella likes to put them down my heaters and Lady Jupiter. Uh, that oh, that's cool. Yeah. That's, that's really good for it, I heard. Yeah, and it's funny, too, because you give her a coin, and she's looking at it. Oh, this is so nice. And she's been asking for a coin for like 15 minutes, right? And you just watch her look at it. Oh, <laughs> look how cute the baby is. Drop right down the vent. No! Just watch her do it because it's adorable. You're like, you know, you're like, oh, what, what was she doing? No, 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 clink, 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 clink. And of course, that's like the second or third coin that she's done. So. Uh, it's probably, it's, it's, they, yeah, this is probably not the first time somebody's dropped a coin down a, yeah, on a heater vent. Yeah, no, I don't think so. Hey, look at the bright side. That'd be a decent retirement plan, man. You go and sell the, when you go to sell Lady Jupiter and they, they, you know, like, you know, like picture like 40 years down the road, you can like tear it apart and there'll be like a million dollars down there.